But I, I am concerned that, you know, sometimes you have to just walk away from the table and just take your losses and move forward and, and focus on next season, focus on trying to make sure that the 2021 season is going to be something that fans want to participate, you know, see and witness and participate in. I think that this right here, just, just to make money for this season, I honestly feel like <laughs> I, 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 hope, I hope it turns out well. That, that's really all. I mean, I, I'm, I love basketball. I love the NBA just as much as anybody, if not more than a lot of other people. So I, I want to see this succeed, but there's just so many signs that make me just question. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we are speaking to Michael Lee, the NBA correspondent for The Athletic, about what in the blue hell is happening with the NBA season and about Steven Jackson. That's Captain Jack's comments defending Deshaun Jackson for making an anti-Semitic post. Michael Lee's got some great stuff to say about that. Very important stuff. It's political clarity. We've already done the interview, so I'm recommending very highly that you tune in for this. Also, I've got uh, some choice words about the Olympics and their rules prohibiting protest. I've got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down awards and more. But first, let's hear some straight truth from Michael Lee. I mean, first and foremost, explain to us laymen and laywomen, please, like what in the blue hell is happening? What What's the plan for the NBA right now? Um, cross your fingers <laughs> and hope this all turns out well. I mean, it's a very ambitious project. Um, one, it's going to require, you know, some extreme luck, some extreme fortune, and um and, and we all know what the motivation is. It's definitely a capitalistic monetary motivation. Um, I mean, I know they want to complete the season. These are competitive guys. They want to play basketball and do their jobs. Um, but it is a, a highly ambitious uh, project that is very the, – the, the chances of it succeeding are very low. Um, but uh, I guess under the uh, conditions, you know, being in the midst of a pandemic um, – this is a project that's never been considered before, never had to be considered before, and uh, it's, still, it's going to be an incredible thing to observe over the next couple of weeks. Well, it, it, we're, we're staring August in the face at this point. You know, the new season is supposed to kick off in late October. I mean, do you find yourself asking at this time, like, like what's the point? I did. I, I thought that the minute they announced that they were going to have the season after what we normally would be the season, you know, um, you know, you have, um, you have the finals, which are already done. And then, uh, that what normally would be the draft. That's when they're announcing that they want to go through with the season. So I think that was such a unique period. Um, but I, I think that, uh, it, it, it doesn't even feel like it's a continuation of last season. And I think that's what a lot of people may miss right. out. This is really a brand new season because, there are so many players who are not going to participate. Look at the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, half of that roster is, is already decimated either from having coronavirus or other injuries. So they're not even sending anything that looks remotely like the team that they last fielded. And the Wizards are going without Bradley Beal, who's their only recognizable player at this point. Um, so you're going to have a lot of teams down there, a lot of players uh, that, that haven't gone down there. And you're also going to have a lot of players who don't really want to be there. 
Um, you know, I think the one thing that struck me most from all the Zoom calls over the last couple of weeks is the number of players who said, I don't think we should be playing right now, but, you know, most of the guys want to do it, so I figure we should go play. But it doesn't seem like, I mean, from Joel and B to, uh, you know, Fred Van Vliet, I mean, uh, Jalen Brown, I mean, a lot of guys in the league have been like, yeah, I didn't really want to do it. Jason Tatum, I mean, these are some of your young stars. Like, they aren't, they're not high on wanting to go down there and do this, and the, but they're going to do it. <laughs> and so you, you, you wonder if everybody's going to go in there with the proper mindset. Uh, you've seen Victor Oladipo say that he doesn't want to go, and you've seen in response the Indiana Pacers say that their objective is just to get out of there in one piece, not to go out there and compete for a championship, Let's just survive. And so when you're under those conditions, you got to under, you have to, you know, kind of question if, like you said, is this necessary? Do we need to play basketball right now? Um, I'm not sure if there's a, a craving for it necessarily, especially when you talk about it happening in August when we're so used to, you know, worrying about spring, uh, football and, and, uh, and everything and baseball at this time. We're not really, we're not really anxious or eager to see NBA basketball played in August and September. So you're not uh, subscribing to the Austin Rivers belief that actually any championship won in this context would actually be more meaningful than a typical NBA championship. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't think anything will be more meaningful than any other. I just think this will be the most unique one. Uh, I don't know if it's more important. Um, I think that when you look at the, the number of players who won't be participating or who may wind up having to be eliminated because either they can come down with coronavirus or some other serious injury because they've been rushed back into playing competitive basketball after just four months uh, of not of inactivity, then I think you can look at it from a number of perspectives. It, I, I won't say it's, it's the, more, the most important or the biggest one. I'll just say it's the most unique one. Um, and if, if we get to the point where there's only two teams standing with, with, uh, with players who are healthy and competitive, we might wonder if it was even the most – uh, if it was the most unnecessary, you know, I, I've already heard uh, comments by people in the in the health industry. We uh, we interviewed someone on this show, Dr. Celine Gounder, a couple weeks back, who spoke about this, and they spoke about the the moral implications of having this kind of testing uh, ready at a twenty four seven clip for. NBA players for NHL yeah. players. It's not exclusive to the NBA by any stretch. Um, to, uh, soccer players, uh, when you know it's very tough to get a test. Like I can't get a test here in Maryland. Trying to get tests for my family when asymptomatic, and you know, but just trying to check in, and you know, it's just it's not even an option. So that whole idea of anyone who can who wants a test can get it is. <laughs> you know, our generation's version of weapons of mass destruction. It's complete and utter BS. Um, yeah, mission accomplished. Yeah, exactly. This is our mission accomplished. It's just absurd. <laughs> so my question, though, if you're, I mean, I know you talked about this being a capitalistic enterprise and, you know, the NBA has to stay afloat financially, but is it possible they're being penny-wise, pound-foolish given the PR hit they can take from trying to pull all this That's off? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I've, I've said this before uh, on uh, other uh, conversations about this. Uh, this feels like, you know, this has been probably one of the worst seasons when you think about all this happening in the NBA. Yeah. You know, beginning with the situation with Daryl Morey's tweet in China and the revenue that was lost from there, 
to just, you know, losing David Stern, you know, uh, the longtime commissioner who really helped elevate the sport, to losing Kobe Bryant to that unfortunate uh, uh, helicopter accident, which devastated a lot of players and affected them in ways that we're not even sure of because they never really had time to mourn. They had to play that same day. And then you have this pandemic hit that interrupts the season, and you're like, maybe we should just not play, you know? And it sort of feels like you're a gambler at a table, and, you know, you keep trying to, keep trying to, you know, get off this loser streak. You keep trying to keep it up, keep putting money on the table. All of a sudden you're out of money. And now all you got is this watch. And like the watch is the last thing you got. The, the NBA is putting the watch on the table now. And you're like, hold up, dude. All you got is your watch. <laughs> like just, just walk away from the table. At least from here, you'll know what time it is. Now the NBA is risking not knowing what time it is. So there's a whole lot at stake. And, um, and I, and I understand, I understand why they want to play. But I, I am concerned that, you know, sometimes you have to just walk away from the table and just take your losses and move forward and, and focus on next season, focus on trying to make sure that the 2021 season is going to be something that fans want to participate, you know, see and witness and participate in. I think that this right here, just to, just to make money for this season, I honestly feel like <laughs> I, 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 hope, I hope it turns out well. That, that's really all. I mean, I, I'm, I love basketball. I love the NBA just as much as anybody, if not more than a lot of other people. So I, I want to see this succeed, but there's just so many signs that make me just question, like, it would it would have been okay. I think it would have been okay if we did not finish out this season. And the one reason why I say that is, like I said earlier, June, May, April, May, June came. We did not have playoff basketball. We did not have uh, conference finals or NBA finals. And – we weren't fine, obviously. It wasn't what we wanted, but we survived, and we were able to move on. And now you're going to put all these players' um, you know, lives, put their families' lives at risk. I just feel like it's kind of insensitive in some respects, um, especially when you look. He's not play, going to be participating because he was one of the delete eight, one of the teams that aren't going to be down there. But when you think about a guy like Carl Anthony Towns who lost his mother from this coronavirus, um, you know, I just feel like to try to force everybody else to go play, you know, um, you know, at a time like this when we still don't understand this, this virus, we still don't understand the disease, we don't understand the long-term health uh, effects of, you know, a respiratory, you know, uh, virus for a sport that requires a lot of breathing and jumping and sweating on each other, you know. So we're going to put these players at risk for our quote-unquote entertainment but I don't know if there's a craving for it to that level to where this is going to just appease all the problems and ills that we're dealing with as a country. Cause I think right now it's, yeah, it's fun to have basketball, but is it really cool if you're going to be wincing the whole time you're watching? Yeah. Is it, is it cool to be wincing is the real question. I think, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine that being too much fun. Um, it's so interesting. I, you know, on a on a different subject of somebody who maybe needed to walk away from the table, uh, the big one of the big stories this week. You know, Captain Jack Stephen Jackson uh, steps up to defend Deshaun Jackson, who put fo- who's an NFL player, of course, uh, in in where you are in Philadelphia, who posted something anti-Semitic, a fake quote from Adolf Hitler, uh, and. And so Stephen Jackson, he felt this instinct. This, you know, there was a pile on on Deshaun Jackson. He he's apologized several times. He's 
meeting with Holocaust survivors. He's talking to Julian Edelman about going to the Holocaust Museum. All, all the kind of the typical rehab stuff. And in the middle of all of that, Stephen Jackson steps forward to not once, but I think like now three times to defend Deshaun yeah. Jackson. What, what was your response to see Stephen Jackson step up so vociferously in defense of Deshaun Jackson? You know, um, I was disappointed. Um, you know, I was really upset, you know, because there's, there's some things that you just never, ever, ever, ever do. And there's one thing that you never, ever, ever do. You don't in any way seem, appear to be adjacent or in any of way on the side of Hitler. <laughs> in any way. Like, yeah. you don't ever want to be associated with him in any way. So no matter what point you're making, the minute you decide that anything that Hitler said is okay, even if he didn't say it, if you think he said it and you think it's okay, you've automatically invalidated everything that you're saying. And for me, I think that Steven Jackson has done a lot of good. And I applaud him for stepping up, you know, and really lending his voice to the movement after George Floyd died, his good friend. I think the fact that he is famous, that he is a celebrity, has, has had a tremendous impact on raising the visibility of that, that incident and leading to, like, protests throughout the country and across the globe. So I applaud Stephen Jackson for that. that. This does not nullify what he has done, but it does eliminate his credibility going forward because the one thing I can say about Stephen Jackson is he's an incredibly passionate guy. He is ill-equipped to apply reason to whatever he does. Everything he does is emotion. And that's one of the things that you need in the movement is having somebody who's passionate and willing to fight and to do whatever it takes for people that he, he loves and he cares about. Okay. But if for a movement to be successful, you can't either be all passionate or all reason. You have to balance them and he can't balance them right now. And he can't even look past the fact that what Deshaun's, John, Deshaun Jackson did was in was foul. Okay, like he's so focused on saying that the Eagles didn't, um, you know, protect him the way they did Riley Cooper. He's so blinded by that that he can't look past the fact that Deshaun Jackson was absolutely wrong, and that now him speaking up on behalf of Deshaun Jackson when Deshaun has already said, "Hey, I did wrong. I've apologized." You know, he's, he wants to, you know, meet with members of, you know, the Jewish community. He wants to gain an understanding of why he was wrong. While Steven Jackson is beating the drum like, yeah, yeah, whatever, the Eagles are wrong. Like, this fight requires all of us. This fight requires everybody. So if you're trying to divide us along religious, uh, racial, or any other kind of lines right now, you might need to step aside. And if you don't understand why people are offended, and maybe you should talk to people and really gain an understanding. I think he's been so convinced that he didn't do anything wrong that he just told himself this over and over again. But he's out of his depth. In this regard, he is out of his depth. And, in, in that, and when you are out of your depth, and this is beyond your realm of comprehension or understanding, sometimes it's okay to zip your lip and let somebody else who understands talk and listen. So I just feel like I applaud him for what he's done. But going forward, he's, he's, he's blown it. He, he sabotaged the influence that he could have had, and it could have been great. Um, and, and I don't know what he can do to rehabilitate himself, but I, the first step is recognizing your mistake. The next step is doing what you have to do to rectify it 
but now he's just so far gone. I, I just feel bad because I feel like it's a, it was a wasted opportunity for him to really do some good going forward. But I appreciate what he's done in the past. Does it surprise you at all that, um, it's, I guess it's a two-part question. First of all, that, you know, there's been like, a, other than Enos Cantor, like a pretty serious silence among NBA players around any of this, um, that they, they've chosen to, to not comment on it and to just let it exist in its own space, to not try to claim any moral high ground and say some of the things that you just said, for example. I wanted to know if that surprised you. And I wanted to know, since you're in Philly, like it's been, I thought Malcolm Jenkins' response to all this was very interesting, and now people are piling yeah. on him. I think taking some of what he said out of context—that's just me. Yeah. Um, but but I, I just I wanted to get your comments on that NBA players' silence and then Malcolm Jenkins. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised because I mean I think everybody you know like myself has come out and really applauded Steven Jackson you know for what he is and for who he is and, and how he stepped up you know um after George Floyd passed and what he did so i think that some guys just don't want to seem like they're piling on him at this point but i think there's a difference between piling on and then correcting you know bad behavior you know if somebody's out of line and out of pocket and doing something that's foul they need to hear it and they just especially need to hear it from the people that they respect and in, in this regard nba players who have, you know, shown support for Steven Jackson and, you know, this movement, they need to step up to support, you know, their Jewish brothers and sisters because that's that's important, you know. Um, and I, so I, I am surprised because you saw what happened when Drew Brees, you know, made his comments, you know, about the flag. And you saw a lot of guys step up and, you know, and get on Twitter and say whatever they needed to say. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, it's best, to actually have that criticism from within your community, to hear it from people who you respect, because they're the ones that are going to be able to probably push you more for more for what's right, you know. Because if you feel like somebody that's not in your circle is is saying you're doing something wrong, you're not going to listen. You'd be like, yeah, whatever. You're just a hater, and so that you just be like, yeah, you won't you won't listen to it. But if it's coming from somebody that you respect and you admire, then you 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 might listen to it a little bit differently. So I, I would have liked to have seen. I still think this time for NBA players to come up and say something to Steven because he needs to hear it. He needs to hear it from not just you know um, you know Jewish people or anybody else. He needs to hear it from you know NBA players, black NBA players, and everybody that yo man. I mean, we respect the passion, but you know you you you're really out of line you're really out of line on this and we need to support each other. We need to be, have everybody's back on this and we can't divide ourselves, you know, using uh, racist or anti-Semitic tropes, the same ones that offend you, the same ones that were used on George Floyd that killed him. You know, like we can't just throw those on other groups and then I think that's cool. Like it's not. And so I think that's what somebody needs to make clear to Steven Jackson. Cause like I said, he's, he's the ultimate ride for my homie dude out there right <laughs> we saw what happened at the palace when he went and you know you know punched a fan in support of ron artest so you know that steven's gonna have your back but man on this one you don't need to have anybody's back this is not a time you go out and support somebody you know because you think they need they need your support no on this one deshaun jackson needed to hear somebody say bruh nah that ain't right and in, in this regard in the same way Somebody needs to tell Steven Jackson, hey, man, nah, no, this ain't it. 
Mm. That's Michael Lee with some some real talk. Do you think? And I, I, I say I, I say that as somebody who, who covers Stephen Jackson, mm. who um, knows him fairly well. I don't say I know him, but I, I've I've been around him enough that I know what kind of person he is. And I think that's one of the reasons why guys haven't stepped up because they they know it's hard in general. But I think that even with that being said, even if somebody has a good heart, if they're if they're out of line, you need to put them in line. Yeah. No, I hear that. Um, you know, really do appreciate your time. I got to ask, do you think big picture this damages the movement or do you think this is a tempest in a teapot? I mean, Steven Jackson's been so important to NBA players getting mobilized. I think that's one of the reasons players yeah. have either not criticized him or, you know, folks like my radio partner, Atan Thomas, like his number one concern has been like that Steven Jackson gets canceled and everything gets you know, completely obliterated in terms of what he's tried to put forward up to now. And so then that's his first concern. Um, but then, of course, if that's your first concern, it allows like very, very uh, non-principled actors to try to discredit the movement. by like, And you're already seeing this yeah. by a right-wing senator. Well, uh, look, anti-Semitic yeah. movement. And the like. Yeah, those, those, those people, those people are going to find a reason to do it, even if he had never had this. So eliminate them. Like the people who are automatic, automatically against the movement, you know, whatever. They're, they're not, they're not going to get on board in the first place, you know. So whatever they have to say to uh, try to shout them down, I'm not listening to them anyway because I wasn't listening to them before. So they don't have any credibility, especially when the person who they support is just as bad or worse. Okay, and has the power to actually inflict, you know, actual pain on people of color in this country. So, so I, I don't want to listen to anybody who's disingenuously trying to attack Stephen Jackson right now when they know they don't even support this movement in any way. I'm concerned about the people who support the movement, who are behind it, who are now trying to figure out what where their alliances are, where Stephen Jackson's alliances are. Like, is he in it just for himself, or is he in it for all of us? And I know he says I, I got love for all who love who got love for all, but what he what he said and how he's you know attacked you know the people who you know criticized him, let you makes you question like what do you what do you really who you really love in this regard, mm -hmm. because you know you can't go around just parsing out like who you support based on what you think you know especially if you rely on some anti-Semitic tropes like that's just that's just that's the worst part it's like when he had a chance to sort of make amends, he threw out, you know, some of the worst things you could possibly say. And re with regards to like Jewish people and money and it's just, it's just, it was just not good. Not, not, not cool in any way. But uh, to answer your earlier, the bigger question about, you know, uh, getting him canceled. I don't, I don't necessarily want him canceled. You know, I just feel like he has damaged his credibility to the people within the movement because, you know, if, if you're about, you know, equality, which is what this whole movement's about, then you can't separate us, you know, and, and say that this group is bad and this group, like, and so I, I think that's, that's what's happening. So, and I, and I get one to support him and have his back, but you can support him and also, you know, tell him he's wrong. Like, like, I'm not, I use this example. I mean, he's not a, he's a, he's a grown man, but same way you, like, you love your kid. But if they do something bad, you got to let them know that then they, they did something that's not right. You can't just say, I love you, and just keep on doing it. You want to put them to where they understand what they did wrong, why it was wrong, and then how you move forward. And I think that's where a lot of guys are missing a point. It's not just about the fact that, you know, he needs our support. Of course, 
he needs your support, and he also needs you to support him in the best way possible by telling him that this is not the way you go about doing this. You know, he needs somebody to really steer him in the right direction so he understands. And going forward, I don't know if he can actually actually be seen as a visible force in this. He may have to fall back and be a behind-the-scenes force, but in terms of, like, speaking out and making public uh, appearances in this regard, it, it, he's, he's done a lot of damage. He's done a lot of damage, and he hasn't helped himself in the attempts that he's made, the futile attempts he's made to try to um, to come across as, as understanding. And you got to say not helping Deshaun Jackson either. Um, or helping people like Malcolm no. Jones, putting them in this terrible position where, I mean, it's, it's yes. just, it's, it's, it's rough. It, it is. And I, and, and, I, and I think I understand the, the caution with a lot of, you know, black athletes in terms of wanting to come at Steven Jackson because, you know, they get it from all ends. You know, when you mm-hmm. speak out for justice, when you speak out for equality, you get you get criticized. You get um, you know lambasted. You know they tell you to shut up and dribble or do whatever else. They don't want to hear all this politics and sports and all that drama and whatever nonsense that people want to throw out there. So you get it, and like you get criticized, you get blasted for it. So you get it from one end. So you don't want to have it from both ends. But <laughs> you know when you when you say something as bad as what Stephen Jackson did, and you don't seem to grasp you know, the seriousness of it. You don't seem to have an understanding of why it's offensive and you don't seem to be willing to make any attempts to understand why, then I think that you've created another problem, you know, because what you've done is is um, is you act like, you know, it doesn't matter and when it does. Right. And and so, so I don't know. I, I, and, and I think guys are sort of trying to figure out the best way to go about saying something, but... Um, without really understanding um, how hurtful it is that if you don't come out and completely condemn what Steven Jackson said, it still hurts. And, it, and you know, and I think there's, there's it's, it's, it's complicated. And, and I, I just wish that, you know, more people would come out and help Steven understand why he was wrong instead of just saying, I got your back. Well, Michael Lee. I mean, thank you for uh, bringing some clarity to what's been a very thorny, difficult issue. Um, and, yo, I really do appreciate the time. Anything else you want to add about the NBA and what's going on right now? Not really. I, I just want to say, again, I hope and really, really hope that this goes off well. I, want, I hope the guys don't get hurt and that they don't get, you know, sick. Um, I'm definitely concerned that they that it's going to happen. Um, and it, it hurts me that that it probably will, um, but I'm just got my fingers crossed that that this goes goes smoothly and that we award a champion, and that the only thing that we really debate or whether we want to put an asterisk on it or not. That's the only thing I wish wish we could have this discussion because anything um, else is just it's so scary. I, I just I just want the best for these these guys and, and their health. Mm. Very, very well put indeed. Um, yo, Michael Lee, thanks so much for making the time. Thank you, man. It's always cool to be on. Oh, it's terrific. That was Michael Lee, ladies and gents. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from The Nation magazine. 
We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation Magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Now I've got some choice words that I co-wrote with Jules Boykoff about how athletes are fighting the Olympic ban on protests. Okay, look, as the winds of change whip through the world of sports, the International Olympic Committee remains a windless desert full of dry husk ideas that appear brittle amid today's zeitgeist of principled athlete activism. While other sports leagues, like the National Women's Soccer League, are making space for their athletes to express political dissent, the IOC is lagging behind, digging in its heels to argue that politics and the Olympics don't mix. But there is a burgeoning effort among Olympic athletes and even some sports administrators to loosen restrictions on athletes' ability to engage in political protest. The moment is ripe to ditch the restrictive measure embedded in the Olympic Charter that bans political dissent. The IOC is living in the past. Politically minded Olympic athletes are rooted in the present and thinking about the future. They more than deserve space to protest injustice. The Olympic Charter has long forbidden dissent explicitly. After John Carlos and Tommy Smith famously thrust their black love fists into the Mexico City sky in 1968 for black freedom and human rights, the IOC fashioned a rule to dissuade athletes from taking a similar stand. This takes the form of Rule 50 in today's Olympic Charter. No kind of demonstration or political, religious, or racial propaganda is permitted in any Olympic sites, venues, or other areas. In January, the IOC doubled down, issuing guidelines that delineated what it considers protest rather than political expression. They said, displaying any political messaging, including signs or armbands, um, is against the rules, as are gestures of a political nature, like a hand gesture or kneeling. This suspiciously specific, non-exhaustive list was an obvious response to two U.S. athletes who had the temerity to make political statements on the medal stand at the 2019 Pan American Games. Track athlete Gwen Berry, who raised a fist on the medal stand, and fencer Ray Simboden, who took a knee. Now, pressure is mounting from within the Olympic circle. The president of the Caribbean National Olympic Committee, Brian Lewis, stated publicly that Rule 50 must go, saying it is the symptom of systemic racism and racial discrimination. In June, Global Athlete, the international athlete-led group, issued a statement demanding the abolition of Rule 50, arguing that silencing the athlete voice has led to oppression, silence has led to abuse, and silence has led to discrimination in sport. The Athletes Advisory Council for the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee agreed. The group teamed up with John Carlos to issue a similar plea to ditch Rule 50. The U.S. gold-winning swimmer Anthony Irvin, who's been a guest on this podcast, has also questioned Rule 50. He told Swimming World, 
who knows what's going to be in somebody's heart. I don't get to tell anybody what's in their heart in that moment when they get to reflect on how they got there and the country they came from. I feel like Rule 50 is a repudiation of that, a denial of what's in your heart. U.S. Olympian Gwen Berry told the nation, I think Rule 50 needs to be canceled for the simple reason that it goes against athletes' human rights. There are rights inherent to all human beings and one is the freedom of speech. Berry is exactly right. The Olympic Charter's Rule 50 stands in direct contradiction to the UN's Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which states in Article 19, everyone has the right to freedom of opinion and expression. This right includes freedom to hold opinions without interference and to seek, receive, and impart information and ideas through any media and regardless of frontiers. The IOC's blatant suppression of athlete dissent slices mightily against this sentiment. The Olympic Charter's Rule 50 has long been outdated. Today, amid worldwide protests, it is downright archaic. To squelch protests today is to advance white supremacy, since most recent protests by Olympic athletes were done either to raise awareness of racism and its ramifications, like Barry and Imboden, or by athletes of color who use the Olympics as a political platform for speaking truth to power in their home countries. As the protests sweeping the streets have shown us, white supremacy needs to go. Let's make space for athletes to give that toxic ideology a firm nudge toward the dustbin of history. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Now it's time for the part of the show we call Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down. Just Stand Up up. goes to the world of cricket. I was alerted this week by a sports writer named Daniel Gallen that cricket has been absolutely exploding with political dissent over the last month or so. And I have missed it because I don't follow cricket. And here is one example, though, of what Daniel Gallen was talking about when he messaged me. Uh, Check out this audio of cricket great Michael Holding, who is um, of African descent, delivering this powerful monologue on the dehumanization of the black race, quote unquote. Check this out. This is on a broadcast for a cricket match. So he basically took over this broadcast to say the following. Check this out. But what I want to expand on the award is what I said about education. Education is important unless we just want to continue living the life that we are living and continue just having demonstrations every now and again and a few people saying a few things. And when I say education, I mean going back in history. What people need to understand is that this thing stems from a long time ago, hundreds of years ago. The dehumanization of the black race is where it started. And people will tell you, oh, that's a long time ago. Get over it. No, you don't get over things like that. And the society has not gotten over something like that. I'll skip all the gap between those long years ago 
and make one point and then go backward. That lady in the Central Park in, in, in New York, Amy Cooper, I think is her name, if she did not have in her DNA the thought process that she was white, this man is black, if I call a police officer, nine times out of ten he's going to be white and going to be considered right immediately, the black guy will have to prove that he's not guilty, and by the time he proves that he's not guilty, he might be dead. She had that in her mind from day one. That is why she said and did what she did. How do you get rid of that in the society? By educating both sides, black and white. I hear people talking about brainwashing. I didn't quite understand as a young man what brainwashing meant. I now understand what brainwashing meant, what it means. We have been brainwashed, and not just black people. White people have been brainwashed in different ways. I go back many years, think about religion. You and I are supposed to be Christians. I'm not really a very holy person, <laughs> not a very religious person. That, but that's what we were taught. Look at Jesus Christ, the image that they give you of Jesus Christ. Pale skin, blonde hair, blue eyes. Where Jesus came from, who in that part of the world looks that, that way? But again, that's the brainwashing to show you this is what perfection is. This is what the image of perfection is. If you look at any plays of those days, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, he's a black man. Again, brainwashing people into think, oh, he's a black man. He was, he's the bad man. Go through history, Wadi. These lights that are shining on us. You can tell me who invented the light bulb, right? Thomas Edison, right? Everybody knows Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. Thomas Edison invented a light bulb with a paper filament. It burnt out in no time at all. Can you tell me who invented the filament that makes these lights shine throughout? Nobody knows, because he's a black man. I was not taught in schools. Lewis Howard Latimer invented the carbon filament to allow lights to continuously shine. Who knows that? Everything should be, should be taught. When you go back through the schooling as a young man, I remember my school days. I was never taught anything good about black people. And you cannot have a society that is brought up like that, both white and black, that only teach what's convenient to the teacher. History is written by the conqueror, not by those that are conquered. History is written by the people who do the harm, not by the people who get harmed. And we need to go back and teach both sides of history. And until we do that and educate the entire human race, this thing will not stop. They keep, they keep on telling me there's nothing called white privilege. Give me a break. I don't see any white people going into a store on Oxford Street and being followed. A black man walks in, somebody's following him everywhere he goes. That is basic white privilege. Whether that white person went in to rob the place or not, is not going to be thought of that way. And things like that have to change. Thank you, Michael Holding, and thank you to the world of cricket. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award. Sit 
Sit your ass down. Those to two U.S. senators who really need to sit down. One is Josh Hawley from Missouri, who is a craven person grasping to become the next hot it thing in Republican Party politics, if you could think of anything sadder than that. And the other is Senator Kelly Loeffler out of Georgia, who's just trying to win re-election and stay out of prison for insider trading. Kelly Loeffler, I should say, is also um, an owner of a WNBA team, the Atlanta Dream. She's worth an incredible amount of money uh, to avoid prosecution on insider trading. Her husband just happened to drop a million dollars into Trump's reelection campaign account. Then the charges were miraculously dropped. Terrific human being. Uh, Kelly Loeffler has decided to turn the WNBA into her own personal sister soldier. She is basically race baiting the entire league as a way to grease her way back into the U.S. Senate and frankly grease her way through the Republican primaries where it looks like she could even lose there to a real lick spittle by the name of Doug Collins, not the former NBA coach. But she put out a tweet where she said, Black Lives Matter is trying to destroy American principles. And she has said that she doesn't want the WNBA to be putting out any political statements uh, against police killing black men and women. And instead, they should be having the American flag on their uniforms as a way to unite people. She doesn't believe any of this. What she believes is trying to use the WNBA as a way uh, to divide and conquer. And, you know, the WNBA players aren't having it. They're putting it right back in her face. I could have given them the Just Stand Up Award just for the way they're standing up to Kelly Loeffler. And I don't think she's long for the WNBA. People are done with her. She's basically Lady Donald Sterling at this point. Well, Kelly Loeffler, like Josh Hawley, has also turned their ire towards ESPN, saying ESPN, this is Kelly Loeffler's tweet, refuses to call out China abroad, condemn anti-Semitism at home, or support law enforcement officers and they don't care for those who do either. All of this is complete nonsense. I mean, I think Kelly Loeffler is running to head barstool sports much more than she's running to be a U.S. senator. And Josh Hawley's doing the same thing. He sent um, an email to Adrian Wojnarowski uh, about the NBA's complicity with China and Wojnarowski, or Woj as he's known, uh, sent back a simple two-word response. He said, fuck you. And on the one hand, I think there is a great deal to say about the NBA and China. And I think the journalists should try to actually hold senators accountable. But I have to say there is something very delicious about Woj saying the two words to Josh Hawley that so many of us have dreamed of saying to him. He's out of his depth. Uh, he's completely craven. Both him and Loeffler have nothing to say about the pandemic, nothing to say about the reopening of schools and how absolutely scared teachers and their families are at this particular moment in time. They have nothing to say about any of it. What they do have something to say about, and they certainly have nothing to say even in defense of Trump either, because how do you defend this monster? Uh, and they certainly have nothing to say about the commutation of Roger Stone, a part of Trump's anti-law and order campaign. What they do have something to say about, certainly, uh, is ESPN. What they do have something to say about is the WNBA. What they do have something to say about is Black Lives Matter. They're bigots and they're hypocrites and they need to sit their asses down. Well, that's all the time we have for this week on this week's show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. 
Uh, these are tough times. I'm glad you're taking the time to tune in with us. For everybody out there, please stay frosty. Uh, if you like the show, please give us a rating. If you like the show, please uh, write a little comment on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. All of that helps this show in a big way and carve out the space that we're trying to carve out. If you missed last week's show with Michael Bennett, it was an absolute classic. Go back and check that out. For everybody out there listening again, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.